Hey there, listeners. Morse code here. Coming to you from inside a bunker trash can. It is, in fact, disgusting, but I needed a place to hide. Josh, there is no reason for there to be this much Thai food in here. Why am I in a trash can, you ask? Poor time management is probably the simplest answer. But instead of dwelling on the fact that the bandages over my ant bites are soiled, let's focus on Josh and his guest, Emma Johnson of Wealthy Single Mommy. All right, Emma, listen, first off, I got to apologize for the, you know, flying in under cover of darkness, <laughs> I, the security. I, I know it's a little much, but I know how valuable this information is. And if it got in the wrong hands, well, there would be peril. And I, I, I know you don't want to be, I don't want to be responsible for peril. Uh, so, um, so hence, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, it's under, it's hugs. worth it, Josh, this is worth it because yeah. yes, we're going to get together and we're going to change the world through, <laughs> through this conversation. This is going to be yeah. it. So you're, um, and, and I'm going to be taking some furious notes here for my Napoleon Hill secret project. And, um, so, so Emma, if we, if we kind of start at the beginning of your journey, I mean, were you running businesses like out of, in college? No. I mean, what'd you do? No. What did I do? Um, you know, I was always a hard worker. Like I always, I've had a job since I was 12 years old. My first one was detasseling corn oh, when I was 12 oh in, in the Midwest. If all, Midwestern kids get that one. Everybody else does not understand what detasseling corn is, but it was agricultural work. And, um, yeah, I, it was out of necessity. My family didn't have money, but it was like, it was great. You know, I mean, I really believe in work and hard work and that being a great experience and earning your own money and learning how to budget your money and, and being self-sufficient. I think those were all really early, early good lessons. Um, and other good lessons were having jobs that I was ill, ill suited for. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. early, my early career, my first career was as a newspaper journalist. Wow. Was when was fantastic. that? And, and where? And um, Well, I started my career. Well, when I got out of college, I had an internship at CNN in Atlanta, which was the headquarters at the time. What? What'd you do there? Uh, it was so, so I went to, I thought I always wanted to be a newspaper reporter. And then I kind of got hooked up with this glamorous broadcast job. So I was like, you know, I've got a, my Achilles heel is like, you know, high profile, mm -hmm. glamorous names and whatever. So of course I took this job at CNN and it was like really boring. And I learned really quickly that if I wanted to do any interesting work at a giant news organization like that, I would have right. to pay a lot of boring years of dues. Yeah. So and what I, were you, what did they have you doing? Oh God, that was they so had boring. me like ripping video feeds and walking them from this office to that office. Yeah. And it was really stupid and not interesting or challenging or intellectually stimulating in any way. Right. And I was like, oh God, if I have, if I want to do anything, like I'm like, it was just the corporate structure. And immediately I'm like, peace out. I'm out of here. And I got a job at the Valdosta daily times in Georgia in South Georgia. Yeah, sure. And I'm like this total Yankee. And I was a fish out of water. It's my <laughs> first job. And I was like really aggressive. And I was like an exercise democracy, you know? So, and it was obviously great. with CNN, Atlanta is a little bit more cosmopolitan. You're originally from, are you originally from the city like New York? No, I'm from a small town in Illinois, Sycamore, uh, Illinois. Oh, okay. I, you've since made, you know, the New York NYC 
privacy area your home. Yes, yes. And where were you? In, where were you from? For in, Sixteen years. Yeah. Yeah. Where? Where in Illinois? Uh, it's a small town in northern Illinois called Sycamore in DeKalb County. Okay. Yeah. It's a small town. Yeah. It's a small. My family was. They, they, my parents were not, but my grandparents were farmers, and it was. Yeah. My family's from that area. When so, you're in rural. Georgia, Valdosta. And so again, I've, I kind of transplanted from Michigan below the South and in, into Florida. So, you know, it's like a little uh, hodgepodge down here, but if you go North, you get into the South and mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's, it's a different vibe. And especially totally you know, in a more rural area like Valdosta, um, did, did you find yours? I mean, and there's a lot of people like they're really into, you know, kind of rebel culture and, you know, Confederate culture. And I'm like, I yeah, mean, I'm like I, a total left-wing I, feminist. I, think I, I heard progressive. <laughs> I'm teasing, and I was, I'm and it, forget about politics, just the personality. Like yes. I had, I was like, so rearing to go. I was right out of journalism school and I'm like going to save the world. And I, and I, yeah. re- this is really, I really genuinely believed that every single thing that I wrote had to be like an investigative piece of journalism. I didn't understand that sometimes you could just go to the city council meeting and just report the facts and maybe do a big story later. Like I really believed I needed to change the world with every single thing that I wrote. And it was like, and I made a lot of enemies really fast in that town. But so it was so much learning and it was also just the grind of work. So it was a small paper. They gave me this little early digital camera, which we would laugh at today. Mm-hmm. And I had to write 12 stories. I had to write and uh, photograph 12 stories a week, right? So you had to do two a day, plus you had to ramp up for the weekend, right? To fill the weekend paper. And it was a grind, but it was so great. And it was just, it was like, that's how I learned to write. Like you, it was just wrote yeah. like volume on deadline. And the other value that is so hard to replicate in the digital age is there was a finite amount of words, right? It was in inches and writing a word on a page was actually, it cost actual money because it was print on paper mm-hmm. and you had, you know, these little software programs and you had to write, it was like thinking about Twitter. Twitter's really the only thing that forces us to be economical about our words. And that is the best way to learn how to write is to say exactly, you have to be so thoughtful about every single word and every single piece of punctuation. And it makes you such a strong writer. And I really don't know how we're going to shut that down young writers' throats and put them through that kind of training because the digital news hole is infinite. It doesn't cost anything, right, to write. So those were very good early lessons. But in terms of business, it did teach me, like it was early lessons. I still am learning these lessons, but about working with different types of people that are different from you finessing situations to get what you want, finding win-win situations, understanding power hierarchies, whether it's within a newsroom or within like local politics or, you know, or whatever, just the social part of, of business Mm -hmm. and life. You know, I think I've got young kids and I think, you know, I can teach them all this stuff, right? Like I can teach them about banking or I can teach them, but if they can come out of and school or whatever, but if I can teach them social skills or give them opportunities to develop their social skills, I feel like that's the most valuable thing I can teach. I completely agree. I'm going to get back to that for sure uh, because I want to talk about um, 
you know, like, you know, if you've, I know you've hired people and there's certain things you look for and those, those soft skills versus the hard skills uh, are, you know, it's like, if you have someone that's got that energy and that passion that, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's, that's really hard to instill later in life. They care. Um, either they've got it or they don't. Uh, and I feel like hard skills, hard skills you can teach, hard skills you can learn. And, and that's actually, let me go back to hard skills um, because you were writing now 12 pieces of content every single week. And so from when you started that, how long did you do that? I don't think it lasted a year and then I moved to Bulgaria, but that's a whole nother story. Wow. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. So you're doing 12 pieces a week on average, every single week, cranking it out. Where did, you know, what did, who did you become in that process of just doing all of that work? I would imagine like as a writer, you, I mean, obviously you kind of getting burnt out on that sort of thing, but I think there's a lot to be said for the confidence to start anything, right? And so in terms of like the skills that you have today, uh, how did that year of just really just putting yourself into the, you know, into the fire over and over and over and over and over again, that really kind of gets you to flex your muscles quite a bit. Well, flex your muscles. And then it's just like, that's the beautiful thing about, I think, early newsroom work is that you screw up all the time. Mm. Like you're going to make mistakes and there's going to have to be an, uh, a correction that's visible to every, all your readers the next day, right? It's not <laughs> like you just go and fix the WordPress site and hope nobody noticed. And corrections cost money too. They cost money and, and the stakes are high for, yeah. sometimes, right? I mean, maybe there's high in terms of public policy. Maybe they're high because somebody local got their name in the paper and it was wrong. Yeah. And it's a big deal for somebody local that's not in public life to have their name in a newspaper. And maybe that was their one time and you spelled their name wrong, mm. right? So mm -hmm. it's like the, the human when stakes are high. So, um, it's a very, it's very humbling, but there's, it's also that you had, I had mentors, I had editors that would sit me down and walk me through how to put the story together or sit me down and, you know, stand up for me when somebody was calling and screaming about a story. Right. I mean, of course those, those, um, those favors have a, a they are finite, right? You can't screw up <laughs> infinitely, but there was, it was like a nice, it really was a, a grooming. Uh, it was a place to screw up, but as, as I became more successful and I had other news jobs since then, but it, it just showed you that you will screw up and you will survive and then you can go on and it frees you. It frees you to take risks so you can make more mistakes. Yeah. Um, so Emma, when you, uh, when you were in journalism school, did you have a policy where I, when I was, so, so I was, I went to uh, journalism school for the U S Navy and it was a kind of an all, all armed forces. So they, they kind of condensed it down to year uh, to one year. Uh, but I, I had a policy that if you misspelled a name, it was instantly you lost 20 points off that assignment. And uh, that that's pretty painful. So I, I think that's one thing like this was so many years ago. And it's still one thing I'm like, do not mess someone's name up. Mm -hmm. Right. It's being respectful. If someone's going to share their story with you, 
to honor that, like you and I, Josh, we're in the media all the time, whatever. We let it hang out. I don't even read or listen to a lot of my interviews, like whatever, it's not a big deal, but that's not how it is for most people, right? It's being very respectful of that. But thinking about other things that I learned that, I mean, it really learned, it's about story. I mean, writing, writing is one thing. I mean, you can write a a menu at a restaurant that's writing and that's mm-hmm. that's a, that's an art in of itself but in terms of storytelling and understand honing your instincts about what is a good story and how to create an arc of a story so now i'm in this digital media world and i one of my favorite things to do over the years is like i, I run this facebook group and these women these single moms they come in there and they just share a story and i really challenge anyone that like wants to come and tell me like well i went I have my MFA, so therefore I'm a writer. Bullshit. Like these w- people that are doing any number of other vocations or professions will write, even if it's just a few paragraphs of their human experience, good, bad, ugly, whatever. And they are often beautiful and flawless. They come from their heart and they really are beautiful little pieces of writing. Yeah. And, and, you, and that's, again, the beauty of digital media is because you can see that, and my wife might connect with it, but I can see immediately that it connects with thousands of other people because they're liking and sharing and communicating through that post, whatever it is, a video, written content. And then if I can capture that and amplify it and share it to a larger audience, it's, that is really what we're doing here. I can sit there and lecture all day long and there's value in that. But if I can bring in other women, other people yeah. and share their stories, and that all was honed, that, that instinct about what makes a good story was honed in those early days of newspaper reporting. Does being a good writer matter today? Or is there just, there's just so much content out there that it kind of really doesn't matter. You're just writing for Google. So why bother? Just, just crank <laughs> I struggle, out I struggle with that too, because sadly, I know how to do both. I think I have done fine writing in the last, my career. And I also am very good at writing for Google, which is very lucrative. Mm. So, <laughs> which is a, a blessing, what? a curse and a blessing. Emma, help me out. Like, what's the difference? Um, well, they're, they're both. Okay. That's a great question. So they both have a place. I believe in the Google algorithm. The Google algorithm I have found really does reward product content that serves the reader. I really do feel like they are making that decision. Unlike other social media platforms that are just, you know, they are not serving anyone except their bottom line and maybe not even succeeding with that. Right. Yeah. Um, but with the writing for Google, it serves it. it it's connection, right? If somebody's mm-hmm. looking for a question and I can answer it, I have served them. And that writing might like, I could take that in and that would, you know, my kid's fourth grade writing teacher might say, that's a perfectly fine piece of writing because I am writing to the fourth or fifth grade level. Mm-hmm. Now, if I want to be, ex- you know, writing an essay about a very personal experience, that's another level of writing. That's not necessarily, it may just happen to jive with some algorithm that I can't plan for, but that's, it's, it's a place for everything. There's a place for academic writing. There's a place for copywriting on a billboard. All of those serve something. And I would, I bristle when somebody tries to say one's better than the other because they all do really have their role and they can all be a high art form in many ways. Emma, after Valdosta, what professionally, what, where did you go then? I moved to Bulgaria. I followed a Bulgarian boyfriend there wow. and I lived in Sofia for half a year. 
and I wrote, I were hooked up with this entrepreneur there. And that was probably an early informative experience about business. He was an, this American guy who was legend, apparently had six different passports and all this gossip around him. And he had multiple wives and uh, <laughs> a CIA profile and all this stuff. And he was, this was Bulgaria in the year 2000. And they were really just getting their like capitalist vibe going. Yeah. And the real estate had only become really, truly free market. So this guy had come in and started, you know, building out residential real estate. Mm-hmm. Like he was with Colliers International and also had the supper club. And so he had this little value ad service in which, so it was me and a, and a Bulgarian guy. And we went through all the daily newspapers every day and we created a news digest. Mm. We translated it. So he was kind of the, my partner was kind of the translator and I was sort of the writer editor. And we put out this daily news digest about what was going on in Bulgarian news in English. And it was fascinating because again, that was another exercise of writing, but all of a sudden I knew everything about Bulgarian business and politics and connecting with this business world. My boyfriend was a broadcast journal, like a national journalist there. So my network was very deep in this little country that was fascinating but somehow I decided I needed to come back and work in daily newspapers in New York and the relationship ended. So I worked in a, a daily newspaper, a great daily newspaper in Phoenix, Arizona, and was a healthcare journalist there. And it was kind of more of the same, more just like great reporting, working with other really, really good journalists. It was a grind. I did really good work. I was proud of, won a bunch of awards. And I was there for a few years before I moved to New York City. And that mm-hmm. was like 16 years ago or something like that. Yeah. So I've been made my way in New York for the last 16 years. And and when did Wealthy Single Mommy come about? Eight years ago, 2012. And and so what what led to that? And um, what made you think that that would be a good use of your time to to build out that brand? And so now, so initially, Wealthy Single Mommy started out as what? Um, I would say as a hobby. Let's call it a hobby. I, at the time, I'd been making my living as a freelance journalist and writer for you know five or six years or something, and doing well at that. And I, at the time, I felt like I was an entrepreneur. I was real, I was a freelancer. You know, I don't care. People want to split hairs over whether I was a real entrepreneur or not. It doesn't <laughs> matter. But I love the hustle. I never fit into corporate culture at all. It was not a good fit for me. Like the office politics were. I would just kind of shut down. I would not do my best work. And I liked making money. You know, I liked hustling and I was good at it. And money really is a big theme throughout my life. Um, you know, I grew up without money. I feel like for me personally, it's very much a sense of power. And yeah. um, so it's just, I like that I had, I felt like very powerful and control of my life. So I found myself, I'd gone through a big breakup with a boyfriend after my divorce. And, um, and I was like having these really interesting conversations with a lot of women, my friends, my girlfriends. And I was like, you know, it's this moment of feminism and we were all doing really cool things in our professional lives, but then we're dating, but that seemed kind of old. It was just a very interesting moment. And I was experiencing it through um, my own lens of being a single mom. Mm. And I'm a second generation single mom in my family, but it was so different. You know, like my mom was always like, I'm poor. We can't, there's no good men. Like there's no money. And she's an educated white person. And I was like, well, I'm an educated, like I, I just felt like I could do anything. Like I was making money. I was in, I was dating really cool guys. I was like taking care of my kids. I was having a really good time. And I'm like, well, what's changed? I was just fascinating. It was like very intellectually curious to me, you know? And so I just sort of started it and I wanted, I just, you know, it was like an exercise in curiosity and I felt like I had something to say. And I also, 
So in terms of writing, you always want to talk about writing. For me, I was like, I was always writing for business. I was writing for somebody else. I was writing for the audience. And I went through this, when I started my blog, I was just like, I'd gone through a very traumatic experience with my divorce. It was yeah. like really high profile. My ex-husband had a brain injury into national headlines about it, whatever. It, but it was like, oh, extremely traumatic year or two. And then here I was, I was a couple of years after it, but I went through this breakup with a boy, boyfriend. This was a couple of years after my divorce. And something about that just like unplugged all the grief that I'd never really dealt with. Mm. And it was just like all of that, like grief, I was just like coming out and it came out in my writing and I started, it was public now because I started this blog and it just connected it, whatever I was going through connect with readers. And it was very lucky it connected with the media. So the media right away started like giving me nice backlinks and coverage. And that was back in the good old days when things actually went viral. (laughs) We're old enough to remember that Josh. (laughs) And it was just this sort of magical thing. And it was opening up a writing in me that I did not know I was capable of. Wow. And, um, and it just sort of went. So uh, for there was a I, first couple of years I had that blog, um, maybe first three years, I didn't even try to monetize it at all. I don't know what was driving me because I wasn't making a nickel from it and I just had to do it. It was I, the technical part of it was kind of interesting to me. I like, taught myself a little bit about SEO and stuff. And, but all of a sudden, like the freelance writing business changed and I was bored with it and it wasn't making any money anymore. And then I was doing this thing I felt very called to do. I felt like I was really serving this population that had not been served in a meaningful way ever. And the money just started coming in. I just started getting cold calls about, um, sponsorship, sponsored posts and, media opportunities. And it just was very organic and sort of magical. And I was like, well, I've got to listen to this. This one other thing isn't serving me and this other thing is calling me. So I'm just going to go. I'm like very lazy like that. Just go with what was working. And now fast forward today and all I do all day long is write for Google. I don't do so much fine writing anymore, Mm -hmm. which is a source of frustration for me, you know, but the money is so exciting. And now the stakes are a lot higher and you got to stay on top of your Google rankings. And that's very high touch. And it's, um, it's a completely different part of my brain. It's gotten to the point where I'm so good at it that I really need to be consulting, like exploring consulting opportunities. Cause I find I'm just giving all that information away to different people that are not valuing it. Um, And I want to talk, I definitely want to talk about Google. Um, The, something you had mentioned, you were talking about, uh, you know, I just kept on writing and kind of, I guess you just kept on building this community. Then all of a sudden you got a call for some sponsorship. Who was it? And like, how did that come about? I mean, they just cold contacted you. I couldn't even tell you. It was just like, just, just different random people were calling in and I would, you know, do a sponsored. I didn't know. I was not hooked up with our FinCon community. I didn't really have any mm-hmm. other blogger peers really. And I would just, they would pay me whatever. And I'm always really good at negotiating, you know, like yeah. I would go high and, and I'd be like, this was, you know, it, anyways, it was just very exciting. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you, I was probably making hundreds of dollars per sponsored post or something at the time. I remember, um, sometime around there, maybe, you know, five, four or five years in, I went to affiliate summit East Mm. and I was like, Oh, I had no idea what I was doing. Like I met like these personal loan 
folks. And I'm like, oh, I'll just write a blog post about personal loans and I'll be making all this personal loan affiliate. It's so easy. (laughs) And I was like, I had no clue about what I was doing. And sadly, no, I know everything about it. So um, it was just a lot of trial and error. And I think I was just sort of like, I was, I, I just couldn't take no for an answer. You know what it was, is like, I knew this thing was successful that people were there. I would get, I still get beautiful letters from women all the time saying this message changed their lives, connects with them. You know, I, I'm in the media all the time. Like there, it is there. So it needs to be making money. So I'm like, okay, it's just, a, it's not a matter of when or how it's a matter of how and when, right. It's just like, I just have to keep trying every single different thing until I can figure out how to make really big money on this because I feel like it's a really big project. Yeah. And I have, right. Like I wrote out the sponsored post stuff and I feel like that the market for that is changing. And now I'm like almost exclusively focused on, um, affiliate SEO affiliate, but in the interim, I had a podcast, I had a radio show, I've done video series. I went down and tried the courses you know, and some of these I had some success with, some a lot of success, some not. They ran their face. Some of them were disasters. I tried to start a forum on my blog because I was greedy until yeah. I moved the whole operation over to Google Groups. And, um, you know, just kept trying and trying and trying and gave myself permission to spend money and invest time and fail and learn yeah. and humble myself and just kept going. And you can't stop that. Even when you have some success and there's money in the bank, you got to stay on your game all the time. Um, so let's map out a kind of a kind of a what to expect journey. So if, let's say someone's blogging right now or they're producing their own content. Yes. They're using social obviously to drive traffic to it, um, but maybe they're only getting like uh, you know four or five hundred unique visitors uh, a week or even a month. Um, it's it's probably still a little early to cash in on sponsored posts. There's probably just not enough fire there yet or enough community to attract the interest of of a uh, brand that, that would love to partner together. Um, but, but kind of lay out that, that career path for someone that wants to make money uh, producing original content and working with brands. Well, I would say that Facebook and Instagram are dead unless you have a budget to spend on paid. Yeah, it's a completely pay, pay to play uh, platform. It is wasn't that, when that... I started, but that's the, right. the game and just that's the, that's the game. Take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, so then that leaves you really with Google, which is, you know, and YouTube. I'm not a video person. Maybe should be, but I'm not. Um, but those two are the same company and that same algorithm is driving both of them. So I think with YouTube, so it's, it's really about search. How are people finding you? Mm. Right. And so people build out these YouTube channels, but how are people finding them anymore? It's because the keywords that they write in the description paired with maybe some content on a blog or elsewhere or not, right? These are all working together to help people find you initially. So if you want to do cooking show and, you know, like vegan local food, whatever, that's what people are searching for. They're searching for that. Now, maybe on top of that, you've got this like really wild, crazy personality or you cook with your kids and they're so adorable, no one can resist them. And there's that, le- that more intrinsic, less quantifiable thing that makes you a star. Mm. Um, and that's going to have to come through. But how are people going to find you in the first place? And that is the challenge. And though there is still so much opportunity. I, I, I struggle with that because... Um, 
people find me through search and then I can insert some like, you know, more interest, what I would say more interesting, original, creative content, whatever it is, video, audio, written stuff. But, how, but you have to be thinking, how are they going to find you? And really the only way is, is Google is the big boy in the room and you have to appease him. Mm. So keep, okay. So if someone wants to write for Google, like, is, is there a course that you recommend? Is there like, how does someone learn about producing great content? And I'll talk about like tools and that sort of thing, yeah. like tools of the trade in just a little bit, but like, in well, I would say fun- I have not, I've just learned piecemeal here and there. I mean, I yeah. follow Neil Patel religiously oh, though. Yes. Yeah. You're, if you're new, if you're brand new, I feel like he's going to be way over your head. <laughs> honestly, the best thing that you can do, I just sat down actually with a friend who's got a wildly successful, like 15 year old media platform. And she's so sophisticated, great content creator, whatever, but she knows nothing about SEO. But what I, we did is we just sat down. Neil Patel has some, a free, really great like, bunch of really great free SEO tools. And you can go in there and literally just off the top of your head, like, let's say go back to like vegan organic, right? Mm -hmm. So you just type in local vegan organic and see what comes up because you, you know, it starts with, it's just a human experience. Like it's a machine, it's an algorithm, which might seem intimidating, but ultimately it's created by humans for humans. So you put in the terms that you think people are interested in, and then they will suggest to you there's long, long, long lists of tool of words and terms that that tool will suggest you. You can do this yourself just in Google, just in the search bar. And then, you know, you scroll down to the 10 front pages and there's all those, uh, those other terms at the bottom, right? Those related terms on the bottom of Google search. That's free. That is telling you what, if someone searches for vegan organic near me, the other terms that they're likely to search for, right? So all of a sudden you have like 10 different search terms just there in Google homepage that anybody can use for free in in moments, all those terms that, you know, what? like maybe you wrote this really beautiful essay about why you love, how you became a vegan and eating local and how you want to share that with the world. And then you go in there and you can just retroactively fit those keywords into your, into your content. So it, it signals to anybody that's interested in your stuff. It's, it communicates with Google to push your stuff up on the, on the algorithm. That sounds complicated. I mean, it, uh, I don't know, Josh. I'm here. I'm talking to you. I don't even know what to tell people because it's so big. Right. Um, well, and, and I think it's that that feeling of overwhelm, like it is so big. Or I think the other side of that is, Emma, what you're talking about sounds like it's going to take time because it's going to take Google a couple months to discover your stuff and then decide, well, where do we where do we rank this? I mean, it's Uh, people lose patience and then they kind of throw in the towel way too early. When does the magic happen? (laughs) Well, I know you want me to tell you because what, what worked for me is not going to work for anybody because I started in 2012 and it's almost 2000. It might be 2020 when you publish this and the reality publish is this. Are you kidding? I'm not going to publish this. This is top secret stuff. Now the hackers, uh, listen, Oh, Josh, you're such a nerd. So, (laughs) <laughs> no, but oh, when, when we publish the notes of my secret work. Yes. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, the reality is I get kind of shy sharing my story because it's like, oh, I just wrote what I wanted. And then the New York Times wrote about me. And then I was on, you know, on, and it was magic. And then all these sponsors called me and it was all great. And there is yeah. definitely, I was, it was, I was very lucky and whatever, maybe did some things right along the way. But it was also a lot of hard work and I kept learning and learning and failing and failing and failing and learning and learning and learning. 
But the reality is, is you have to like, you know, once upon a time, I'm trying to think of another example, like it, the market just changed. The market changed. Mm-hmm. There's literally, I think what hundreds of millions of blogs out there. And if you want to get in that game, it's a very evolved industry. When yeah. I started, it was not evolved. It was a different time. Today you have to invest. And if you don't have a knack for learning all this stuff I just rambled off about SEO, then you have to hire someone. And it's extremely expensive because it's extremely hard to do well. But if wow. it's done right, it can be extremely lucrative. Yeah. So if you're like, well, I don't want to spend money if I don't know for sure 100% I'm going to get it back, then you're not an entrepreneur and you need to go get a job. And that's okay. There are still wow. jobs out there. Go get a job. But you're like, well, I just want to write. Well, that's okay. But then you need somebody to figure out, help you figure out how to get your content out there. And again, it's an investment. It's just the reality of it. Yeah. If that hurts your feelings, well, then you're not cut out to be an entrepreneur because you're going to get your feelings hurt a lot. Let's talk about hiring SEO. Uh, what are your options? I mean, obviously you can start with, you know, someone that's, you know, charging like eight, 10 bucks an hour on Upwork or something, but what do you get for that versus do you need a consultant? I mean, that's a completely different kind of hire. And what does that cause? I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I've seen there's people not that, that charge- many people. The thing is, there's not that many people out there because if you're really good at SEO, yeah. you probably have your own blog and you're doing it yourself because the <laughs> upside is so huge. Right. I think yeah. Neil Patel, he has a service. I don't know what you get for it, but I think it's like four or $5,000 a month to start. Oh my. Uh, he's a pretty big agency. I don't, I really can't speak per- firsthand about that, but there's other people out there because obviously there's such a huge market for it. But most of the people that are investing in the agencies are big corporation that, that have big content sites. Yeah. Big commercial sites. Right. And, and I think that their content is well monetized. So you, it makes sense to, dump the money into that just simply because, listen, if I can get my stuff, I can get way more conversions on my affiliate offers. You know, I'm cranking out like two, $300 a pop when I close, let's say like a personal loan type thing, I, which could be more, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but right. I know there's like, you know, even like working with, um, you know, some of these service providers that serve the um, small business entrepreneurial community, you know, you can get $100, $150 per conversion. And so, you know, if you can get, yeah, but here's the thing, like it's a numbers game, right? So, but those yeah. are very hard to do. So for example, mm. I tried to do a lot of stuff with the um, student loan refinancing world. Right. I have a lot of traffic. It's intuitively struck me as a great fit. They pay a ton, which I was like, like dollar signs in my pupils. Right. Mm. I was like, I'm going to knock this one out of the park. It was, seems so obvious. I don't think I made a single conversion because those, the good student loan refinancing companies that I feel comfortable working with, yeah. it's extremely high. You have to have a high income and a high credit score. And so, yeah. okay, what's $300? You, you know, you can do, you know, a handful of $300 deals, or you can do, you know, thousands of $20 deals or hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of dollars of $2 deals. Right. And it's just really going to depend on what your traffic is. And going back to the traffic, you're like, how many, like people could make six figures on 400 traffic a month. If it was the right traffic, you can have a million viewers a month and make nothing because it's garbage traffic, right? It's like, Early on, I still have this post that still ranks for a couple of years. I had this blog post. I wrote this piece and it, the headline was, you are stupid if you do your own laundry. 
And mm. it's a sort of feminist manifesto about how women are like tied to doing like low paid domestic work, mm. but it gobbles up all of our time, all of our headspace. And if yeah. you just spent $20 or $40 a week outsourcing that, you could get that time back and build whatever life you want. Right. Yeah. And that thing, it just struck a nerve. Again, this was back when Facebook was a viable distribution model and it just struck a nerve. And I'm telling you what, women are sanctimonious about their laundry. Like people are so passionate about why you should do your own laundry. And it was very triggering and it was great. So it went literally went viral and then somehow it picked, got picked up on some Google algorithm. And that was my number one performing blog post for like two or three years. So that was when I was just beginning to dabble in um, SEO uh, affiliate, did not understand how it worked, but I did find a part partner, um, care.com where you can find sitters, but also housekeepers. I'm like, that was like the best one. And they pay 75 bucks, but it wasn't going to work. So here I had all this traffic, which was basically meaningless. For some reason, it was getting all this organic traffic from Google and it got social media traffic. I could not monetize that. It was garbage traffic, essentially. But was it or not? I don't know. People read it. It, it Maybe it changed some people's lives. Maybe they got on my email list. You know, like it, you know, it, it serves some purpose, but it didn't make me any money. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, our number one performing blog post on Savings Angel, again, running on like over four years is, is it, is a shaving or is dollar shave club a good deal? Uh, and, and we've done such a poor job. I'll be honest. Like we were, you know, I think it's just because we got lazy because we were a membership based website and, and we, we did, you know, earned a lot of revenue from that. We've shut that down. Savings angel kind of runs on autopilot right now. I'm not, I'm, I'm in a tricky spot. Like, I don't know what to do with it. Like I, I love it because it still allows me to be the savings angel. So I get to do the media, Mm -hmm. which is relevant for what I do without my influence. I can show people, listen, I'm still in the game. I haven't, you know, I haven't retired and, you know, out of the media world. I want to keep, you know, I want to keep my chops, but I don't know what to do with it. Like we get, you know, probably 700 plus unique visitors a day. So it's not gangsta big, but it's still big enough that we could probably be, you know, it's like, but you, it's just, I think Dollar Shave Club has, uh, I know they do. Yeah. It's like, I need, um, I guess I just need to hire someone's like, okay, go find my monetization opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so if anybody were listening in on our secret conversation and you have those ninja skills, uh, I know no one's listening to it, but, um, to me right now, but if you did, please contact me. You gotta, you gotta help me out. There's, there's gold in them. There hills. I think there is. It <laughs> is, and it's you know, it's interesting because like you can get into this whole affiliate thing, and it seems like it's just it. Ta- it takes like it's an art and a science both, yeah. because it's like, you know, it's not just like okay, there's Dollar Shave Club traffic, and then you get the affiliate, and boom. And sometimes it is that simple, but it's often a lot more um, nuanced, and there's like a lot of psychology that goes into things and being really playful with the content, trying to figure out like what partner goes with what content, like what are they thinking? Like I, yeah. so like all the years that I was really writing and my best writing happens to be, and I wrote a big book with penguin and my editor, it was like, a, it was all about being a single mom from the money and the career and the co-parenting yep. and the dating. And she was like, you know, your best writing is really when you talk about dating and sex. And that is <laughs> true. 
And when I was starting, I was dating like, I dated like crazy for a bunch of years. I've been in a serious relationship now for three years, just like monogamous old school boyfriend relationship. And I just like, don't really write about dating because I'm not dating anymore. But you know what? I, I never wrote, I was like, never felt like I could tell people how to find like a serious relationship or have a relationship or find love because I, that's not where I was, but guess mm-hmm. what? My audience wants that. Like you just right. throw up a little free poll in your Facebook group. Like, what do you want? And they're like, where to find a good man? Will I ever find love again? Will I stop wow. dating douchebags? Like, you know, <laughs> right. Like you just ask them. And so I just wrote this really long blog post for SEO, but it's broadening my audience. Like it's so broadening my audience for that because I was only speaking to women who were just dating a lot because that's what I was writing to. But I'm also now speaking to women wanting to find love in relationships, which yeah. is frankly the majority of them. Yeah. You know, uh, Emma, I think you, I mean, you, you, I know you really love your audience and, and I think you have a great audience that, uh, you know, with, with the brand wealthy single mommy, I think you, you hit on an audience that has the ability to pay, um, you know, if they're really interested in doing their money well, um, they're going to make smart decisions. And so they have a desire to pay because uh, if you can recommend a solution that can improve their life, uh, I mean, that's kind of what you want. Like audience selection is really important um, in, in trying to hone in on what ultimately what partners are going to fit. Um, but you know, well, it's, it's, I'm going to stop you right there because okay. my brand is Wealthy Single Mommy. And I mean, I wish I could tell you I did like some high level market research to come up with that URL. Uh-huh. But really, like I just decided I was going to make a blog in the middle of the night and I went on GoDaddy and I wanted to buy something that had the words like single mom and money in it. And it was like the only URL that I could find for like less than $5. <laughs> 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 And now it's like this big business, but you know, the essence of it was like wealth, you know, wealth has many meanings, it's money, but it's also the richness of your life and all of these other things. But it was me. Cause I was very excited cause I was making good money and I was bucking what I felt like, I, you know, I came into single motherhood and like, Oh my God, I'm living on the street. I bought into this poverty mindset and then I flipped the script. And yeah. I'm like, I, that's the thing. I want to help women flip the script. I want society to flip the script, but that isn't. So here's the thing. I'm, my money comes almost exclusively from Google. Mm-hmm. Somebody's like, I want to learn about, um, you know, what's an example, like life insurance after divorce. They Google that. I come up on page one. That doesn't mean, but then there's also the community, right? Like then I have my email list and then I have my Facebook group and these are all interesting things, but that mom that just wants to get like her life insurance and get out and I make, you know, my 50 bucks from the the lead generator, that's a like the money and the community are certainly overlapped and they inform each other, but they are discreet in many ways. So the idea of community is, I feel like it's fading I feel like really? the feed is the feed is so deep yes. and so rich. So the feed for those like Josh, you know, I say the feed, like I'm on Facebook way too much. I need to get off because I do think Facebook is dying, but it's, I love my Facebook group and I see my friends, kids on Halloween, whatever. But, um, you know, I really believe search is the only future that we have in the social and the digital media. So if you have a community on Facebook that is still very viable, but how are you going to get people in your community? Mm-hmm. Google's not giving you that stuff for free anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I started that group is 15,000 people and it's extremely active. I know it very much serves that audience. 
I hire three moms to monitor it because it's very curated. You can't, there's so many rules to keep the quality very high. I don't, I couldn't tell you how much money I make from that group. It's, it, but I just feel very compelled to run it because I know it really serves people and it serves me too. I mean, I do, but when I put a blog post in there, if, if you try to put an affiliate link on Facebook, they can smell that crap a mile away and you're going to yeah. get no organic juice. Yes, right. They know what my blog is. Facebook knows it's my Facebook group, but they also know what my blog is. They don't give me any organic juice in my Facebook group for my own content and you can't yeah. boost stuff inside a Facebook group. Right. So in terms of making money from Facebook, unless you've got a budget and you hire somebody that's extremely sophisticated Facebook ads manager, you are not making any money from Facebook. So where's your community? Instagram? Well, P.S. Facebook owns Instagram. Facebook, Instagram's cracking down and charging you for everything starting next year. That's over, right? Plus there's a bazillion and 200 people on Instagram. So where's the community unless somebody's going to go back and consciously look at your Instagram every day? They're not going to do that unless you used to date them and they're, you're, they're stalking you, right? Like they are not, they do not care about you. No one cares about you. So I don't know what the future of community is anymore. Wow. That's, yeah, I've, I've heard other people talk about, you know, monetizing their social and they're like, you just can't, you know, that's where you give, that's where you build your relationship with people. But, you know, you, you got to keep it a degree or two of separation in terms of like trying to make money there, you, you just, it's not going to go over well. Like Facebook's algorithm will, you know, down, downvote it into oblivion, you know, so no one will see it if it has anything to do, like they know uh, if it has anything to do with you making money, uh, there's just going to be no organic reach to it whatsoever, unless you're paying them some dollars. Um, so what are your favorite tools for SEO? Oh, well, that's so funny. You asked that because Neil Patel needs to give me a sponsorship deal. <laughs> I'll tell you, he just had a, a post. I'm going to click off of the screen here so I can tell you about different um, Chrome extensions that will help you with your SEO. Oh, uh-huh. And I just, I added a couple of them. So I will tell you what they are. I don't have them memorized. This was literally like two days ago. All right. So this is what's on my Chrome, my Chrome extensions are mm-hmm. my Calendly. This is not all SEO. Just FYI, <laughs> yeah. like I'm opening up my underwear drawer and showing you my phone <laughs> extension. So I, I have Calendly because I love that for scheduling meetings. And I have, I have really almost all of my meetings are fi- a 15 minute meeting. You don't, yeah. there's nothing you can tell me in less than 15, more than 15 minutes. <laughs> Bitly, um, my last pass. Yeah. Um, oh, I do have some self-published books. So I have this book report thing. You don't need to know that. Okay. Th- I'm showing my age. <laughs> I have a Alexa widget on my Chrome bar. Wow. Because it's what? just, I like to keep an eye on my, I realize that it's dated and it's old fashioned, but it, I, it helps me as I'm poking around the internet and like, it is other a, posts. it is a good metric to know. I don't know that it is. But oh, really? I like it. I think a lot of people would laugh at us if we said it was a good metric. Okay. I, I don't know what I did. <laughs> I like I'm to just look kind at mine of because mine has been plummeting right <laughs> last six months. Okay. And then the other one is um, Moz, the free Moz one, which that's, 
I think better. And that just shows you right up on your Google Chrome, what the page rank is of any page that you're on. So, mm-hmm. you know, like yours is strong. Like, well, I'm, we're friends. I know you're legit, but someone's like, Oh, you let me interview you for a blog post. And I go and they have like a Moz score 15 at this stage of the game. It's just not worth it for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to decline. Wow. So it just helps me like keep an eye on what's going on out there. Yeah. Here's a new one from uh, our friend, Neil Patel. It's called, um, Oh shoot. They don't have the name here. Uh, it's a, it's a lead generator for SEM. Um, hold on. I'm sorry here. I'm gonna have to get back to you. Quake SEO quake. That's what it is. SEO, oh, SEO quake. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got a zillion metrics on there. I would say if you're brand new to SEO, skip this because it's going to be a whole bunch of numbers that are just going to be completely overwhelming to you. Mm-hmm. Um, Moz, M-O-Z, that guy is like a longtime leader in the SEO world. Yeah. And that's a great resource. He's got a blog that, again, it's for professionals. It's not necessarily for newbies, but he is a very respected pioneer in the SEO world, has some tools out there. I think that's how they make their living. And I also finally just got on the Grammarly game. Oh, and- gosh. Yeah. 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 So I- stupid. I- Yep. I, I, I honestly, I would make such a fool of myself if it weren't for Grammarly. <laughs> you should send them a Christmas card. I really, yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Thank you for saving my bacon so many times. Do you pay, you don't pay, do you pay for the, the, the Grammarly premium? I haven't. Um, I'm, I literally am brand new to it. The other right. SEO tool do go and play around in Neil Patel's. Um, it's Uber suggest go to yes. Neil Patel, Uber suggest, it. right. It's totally free. I find it's amazingly robust for a free tool. Right. Very, very easy to use. Very simple, self-explanatory, and you can just go down the rabbit hole. I mean, you learn so much about your business, about your competitors. You can put in any website, any term, and it's just, it will, that's a very quick and dirty way to get started with SEO. Wow. Uh, Emma, this has been awesome. Um, you know, if I almost feel I'm tempted to put the, uh, you know, if I were to put a title on if this were a podcast, which it's not, uh, but if it were, <laughs> I'd be tempted to put the title like social is dead or dying or, you know, and, and long live SEO, you know, it's kind of the, the headline for this. I was thinking about writing like a LinkedIn article about that. Mm-hmm. Um, which by I the do- way, I got to tell you like LinkedIn, I don't know about content and stuff, but Forum, a networking tool, like especially if you pay to use LinkedIn Sales Navigator. I mean, you have to, it it has to fit the right business. You know, it's, it's, you know, for agencies, it's a no brainer. Uh, But that's where, I mean, we get like 90% of our business just of how we really use LinkedIn Sales Navigator. You got to have it like a go giver kind of philosophy for doing that, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's just, you know, Go out and find people you could do nice things for and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what we do. But that's, I mean, if if you know like how we've grown our business, especially this year, past four or five months, especially, uh, it's r- ridiculous. I mean, it just, it's so, so good right now. And I hope they don't screw it up. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's a very fascinating time in history that we're living in and that we can connect with literally anybody in the world. Yeah. I know you talked about that, about like not sending your kids to Ivy League schools. Why would you do that? Like, it doesn't make any sense to do that. You're like, for the network. I'm like, oh, here's a network on my LinkedIn app right here on my phone. That's your network. (laughs) Yeah, 
Right, right. Yeah. So you and you and I were in big agreement on that one. Awesome. All right. Well, um, Emma, thank you. Thank um, you. We're, we're going to have to put the, um, the the blindfold on again as we helicopter yachty. I mean, I, if if people knew where we were even having this interview, I mean, it's it could blow everyone's cover. So I hope you hope you don't mind. Thank you so much. It's fun. I would love talking to you. That single mommy definitely knows what she's doing. I do not, as my life has come to crouching in a trash can. If you enjoyed that, listeners, then subscribe to this podcast. If you want more ways to spy on Josh, then visit upmyinfluence.com. I'm Morse Code, and I have to change my bandages. Over and out. Over and out.